Man, I like that song a lot. Matter of fact, I was listening to that before I came today. And um, I was actually, to be honest with you, I listened to it by the same group, but I listened to it in two different eras of time. I listened to it in 1990. I listened to it in like 2005. Same exact group, same exact song. You know what the difference was? Drums. They put drums in it. It made all the difference in a bad way. I mean, honestly, I'm just going to be honest with you. It hid the song. It took away from the words. It affected the whole feeling of the song. And uh, when you could hear those voices coming through, it was a quartet that was singing it. And I thought, man, boy, that just ruined that song. It ruined it. It really did. And um, I think, you know, we just got to be careful. We got to be real careful with that stuff as we move forward. There's a lot of good things about new things. A lot of good things, but there's some good things about the old stuff too. All right, well, we're in our Bible Truth series still, and uh, I want to start a, a section on Satan. And um, it's something that I, I really didn't want to do, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I never like to talk about Satan, to be frank with you. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about in Jude, you know, uh, making railing accusations against him. I, I'm not doing that. I, I don't... Uh, I don't want to get into it with the devil. No way. I'll leave him to the Lord, you know. But I do want to just expose some things, biblical things. I'm not going to, you know, stand up here and tell you things like Billy Sunday did and, you know, and talk about, you know, doing all kind of crazy stuff to the devil. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says and we'll let the Lord fight it out with him. <clears throat> but, um, you know, Satan itself, the word Satan, it means accuser, really. Take your Bible, look over at Revelation chapter 12. And again, it'll be primarily some teaching here. We just want to try to learn some things and um, identify uh, what he's all about, who he is, and some of those things as we move along <clears throat> in our series. Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. We're going to look at just two verses here, and then we're going to kind of move along. But by way of introduction, uh, this... The word Satan, you know, kind of implies this idea. It gives us a meaning of accuser. Uh, the Bible says in chapter 12, verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Again, we note this, accuse them. He's the accuser. And that's what Satan's still doing today. He's accusing. He's always leveling accusations against the people of God. If there's anything good about you, he's going to say there's something bad about it. That's just the way he is. Now, we don't want to focus really on Satan, but the Bible does say that we should not be ignorant of his devices. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. As the apostle begins to speak and preach, he's saying, listen, we're not ignorant of his devices. We're ensuring that we know a little bit about the enemy so that we can, we can defend ourselves as well as attack properly. 
there's ever anything that uh, if there's anything that a, a soldier understands or that people that are planning battles realizes that you got to know something about your enemy if you want to be successful in both attacking and also defending. And so in this case, he says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So it's not that we want to focus on Satan. That's the last thing I want to do. But the Bible does say we shouldn't be ignorant of his devices. So we got to get to know our enemy a little bit if we want to truly protect ourselves from him and ultimately defeat him. Satan is not just the essence of evil. Sometimes the idea is given that Satan is just a force of evil. He's not. He really isn't. He's a real person. And we see that in 1 Peter 5, 8. You needn't turn there. You probably know it, most of you, or you've heard it. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He roars, he walks, and one day he'll be chained. We see that over in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Turn there. Revelation, chapter 20, verse 1. If he was just... Uh, uh, a force of evil, then he wouldn't be walking, and uh, he certainly wouldn't uh, be roaring, and he wouldn't be in need of chain, uh, being chained in chapter 20, as we're going to read here, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old servant, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. He cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should not deceive the nations. Should, he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So again, there's more to him than just being a simple, a simply a, a force of evil. He's a person, and it's important that we recognize that and understand it. We're going to see throughout our study that he's called by a number of different names. We see just in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, a number of those names. We see Satan, the devil, the dragon, serpent. We saw in Deuteronomy 13 and 2 Corinthians 6, we see he's called Belial. He's also the adversaries we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He's called so many different things throughout the Word of God. And through the course of our, our study, we'll, we'll notice some of those and, and make a, a reference to that. So I want to have a word of prayer, and then I want to get started on it and uh, see what we can learn about our adversary, the devil, what we can learn about the enemy that we face each and every day of our life. And we are in a battle today. I know that sometimes we seem to be lulled to sleep. We forget that we're really in a war, that there is a spiritual battle raging. And, and, and sometimes we chalk things up to just coincidence or chance, but there's no coincidence or chance about anything. It's all organized. God has his plan, the devil has his, and the truth is, is that those two are at odds with one another, and we're caught in the middle to some degree. We have to be prepared because there's a war taking place, a battle that's raging. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you, and we ask that you'd bless us today. We pray you put a hedge of protection about this building, about our hearts and our lives. And Lord, may you just, uh, Father, uh, keep the devil out. Lord, enable us, Lord, just to reveal and share from the Word of God exactly what you told us about him. Now, Lord, we need you. Help us, Father, to take to heart the need to, to recognize and understand who our enemy is and what he's about, so that, Lord, we can better protect ourselves and even attack when necessary. Lord, we're asking you, Father, to give us the victory. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So as we think about his origin or where he comes from, he was, a crea he was created by God. And that's interesting. Look at Colossians chapter 1. 
Because when we think about him being created by God, we don't usually think about Colossians chapter 1. But Colossians chapter 1, notice what it says here. It makes it very abundantly clear, if I should say, and that's a kind of redundant there, isn't it? Very abundantly. <clears throat> but nonetheless, I really wanted to get across how abundantly clear. <laughs> Notice what it says in uh, chapter 1. Look at verse uh, 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Again, Colossians 1.16 is proof positive that Satan is a created being. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Everything. Now, if you're not God, you're created. It's as simple as it is. And so you say, well, what about Jesus? Well, he's God, so there's nothing about that. We don't have to worry about that. What about the Holy Ghost? No, he's God, so he's good. But everything else, everything else is created. And so is the devil. He was created also. And some funny, isn't it? Because we think to ourselves, well, why in the world would God create the devil? It makes no sense at all. You say, well, when he created him, he wasn't, I know, but somebody says to themselves, well, God knew in his foreknowledge that he would sin, and he recognized the fact that he would ultimately bring mankind into sin, and he had wrecked and ruined everything that was going to go and take place in the world and in the universe. Why in the world did he do that? You can ask him when you get there. He does what he wants. And can I tell you, when it's all said and done, if that did not happen, we would never under, fully understand, nor would we fully appreciate the grace of God. That's what the book of Galatians teaches us. So there's reasons for everything, even the suffering that is endured while in this life as we go into the next. The fact that we did fall into sin means that we can't save ourselves. Therefore, for an eternity, we will glorify and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ because of his marvelous grace. We'll be an example of the mercy of God and the glory of God forever and ever and ever. That wouldn't be the case necessarily if there wasn't a creation, nor would it be the case if there hadn't been the fall, fallen man and God just, by his wonderful grace, unmerited favor, give us salvation. Nonetheless, we see that he was, a created, he was created by God, but he was also an exalted angel. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to look at Ezekiel 28, and we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 14. These are two of the most, I mean, just uh, descriptive passages concerning Satan in the Bible. It's amazing what they tell us. And again, there's others that speak of him, and that's not a problem. Those are wonderful, too, as far as revealing who he is. But these two passages really give us an insight into his origin and his beginning, <clears throat> or at least his early years. Speaking of early years, it was funny today, I... I decided to kind of go through some things that were in my office. I just happened to kind of get an itch to just kind of clean up a little bit. And I was digging through the bottom of one of my uh, drawers, and uh, not drawers, but a cabinet. And man, I found something. I found a treasure in there. Yeah, I did. I found, I went to Maslin Baptist College. You know what I found, Brother Chris? I found the scroll. The scroll was the yearbook for the Maslin Baptist College and man, I found that for 89, 90, and 91. Had all three of them. It's funny. I saw pictures of Brother Chris. Man, I don't even recognize him tonight. 
I look at my picture, I look exactly the same. But him, he looked so old. He graduated a couple years ahead of me, though, so he's a lot. Well, he's actually not older, but he sure looks older. Then I was looking at those pictures, man. I couldn't believe it as I saw some of those faces again. And you know how you kind of go back there? And then you start to lament a little bit. So you got to understand, as we get older, we start going back and go, wow. Wow, that was, oh, man, that, wow, that was a whole lifetime. That was a lifetime, two lifetimes ago. And then you start going, oh. I looked at those pictures. I couldn't believe what I've seen. I've seen the early years. I couldn't believe it. I actually looked at myself and I thought, man, I did look pretty good. I was, I was all right. And then I saw Brother Chris's picture. He looked so young and vibrant and healthy. Yeah, yeah. But man, I'll tell you what, you go back to the beginning sometimes, you start looking at those days, it's like totally different. You know what, we're going to go back now, we're going to see what the early days of Satan were like, what he was doing and how he was responding, what things were taking place in, in his, so to speak, uh, uh, growth, if you will. Look at what it says here in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12. <laughs> it says, Son of man, take up the lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onks, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee a, as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Wow. He was an exalted angel at one point. Notice over there now in the book of Isaiah chapter 14. Again, we're learning about those early days, those early years. Isaiah chapter 14. Go backwards in your Bible. Isaiah chapter 14, look at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which should weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven... I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Again, in these particular passages, God describes Satan as he was in the beginning. 
He says right off the bat, in Ezekiel 28, 14, he tells him that he was the anointed cherub that covereth. It kind of refers to his infinite association with the very throne of God. I mean, literally, the anointed cherub that covereth. The implication is that he was high up in the order, that he literally had a part in caring for or overseeing the throne itself. That's kind of amazing, really. The word cherub means, it's, it's the singular for cherubim. And we've read about cherubims. The prophet Ezekiel presents a description of a cherub in Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10. I'm just going to run through these very quickly instead of turning to them, but the, he describes a cherub as that they look like men. But you'll see that they have four faces. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 1 again. They have four wings. They have hands under the wings. Their appearance is like burning coals of fire and as lamps, according to Ezekiel chapter 1 again, verse 13. They move extremely fast, like a flash of lightning. They have wheels and rings and they have many eyes and they're very... Uh, they're made alive, if you will, or moved by the Spirit of God, and they do His will. Their wings sound like the voice of God, according to Ezekiel 1 and chapter 10, verse 5. So we see that He was an anointed cherub. He was a, a created being. And He was one that was of great stature, obviously, and He was in a tremendous position. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he was full of wisdom, that he was perfect in beauty. Again, Ezekiel chapter 28, turn there, please. Ezekiel 28. We read this already, but let's go back because we're going to focus a few points right there. But he was full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. <clears throat> Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Son of man, he says, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. There was no king of Tyrus that ever uh, lived up to the uh, description that we're going to read about, by the way. This is definitely referring to uh, the king that, uh, uh, that to, to Satan himself. But he goes, Son of man, take up a lamentation of the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This, this created being, if you will, was exceedingly lovely. And went as so far as to have all these precious gems as part of his makeup. Verse 13 of the same chapter, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, the diamond, beryl, and onks, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tablets and thy pipes was prepared in thee the day that thou was created. So here he is, full of wisdom. He's perfect in beauty. He has every perfect stone as part of his covering. You look at him, it's like walking by, you know, a, a diamond uh, a store uh, presentation. You ever go to those, the lighting is exactly perfect, you know? I mean, K Jewelers at the mall or something. And you start looking at the diamonds under there and they're all sparkly and it's like, wow. You'd look at Satan, honestly, in the creation, and you'd be like, wow. He'd it'd blow your mind away. 
And it says here that he was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Man, full of wisdom? That's hard to even wrap our minds around when we think about the bad choice that he made. Full of wisdom? That doesn't make any sense. Can I tell you that you might be making very good and wise choices now, but you could make a real bad one. We're all in the same boat. We're still human. We better always rely upon the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We better not get too self-sufficient and start to believe everything everybody's telling us. I wonder if the devil looked in the mirror and said, man, am I good looking. I wonder if he said, boy, I'll tell you what, I'm making some pretty wise choices. Everybody tells me that I am far beyond my years. I mean to tell you, I am just like, I am the full package. Look at what I'm doing and look at what God has given me to do. And man, I look around me and boy, I'll tell you what, I've got a little edge on everybody else. All those other cherubims, they do a pretty good job. But boy, me, God obviously thinks I'm something and I think I'm pretty good too. And before it's over with, we're going to see that it went to his head, if you will. That would never happen to any of us. It even says here that he had this amazing musical ability built into his body. Notice again in the passage, it it says, The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. It certainly seems that he he, he had some kind of musical talent or ability that uh, God had instilled and, and, and had created in him. So he was a musician, obviously. He might have been a good singer, and he was a cherub, and he was good-looking, and he was wise, and he had it all going. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, he was called Lucifer, the son of the morning. And yet it says there in Isaiah 14, 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? It's not a question, by the way. Notice there's an explanation point at the end. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And then he goes on, How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? It's not a question. It's a statement. A fact said with authority. Lucifer means shining. You know, we can't imagine how beautiful he was when he was created. He was just shining. He'd walk into a room and light the place up. Wherever he went, it just seemed like everything was better. But the Bible goes on to tell us that's not where it ended. He became proud and rebelled against God. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. Jump back over there again. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. and Let's begin in verse 12 since we've already read that, but let's run right through verse 14 again. He says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? 
For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I want you to notice something that's very, very important here. And this is something that we can overlook if we're not careful. Verse 13 says, For thou hast said in thine heart, you know, he may have never said those out loud. But we do know that he said them in his heart. God doesn't tell us he said it out loud. But we know he said it in his heart. He said, what's the big deal? Rebellion against God doesn't begin with this. It begins with this. He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll be like the Most High. He really never said it. He said it in his heart, according to the Bible. Ultimately, we, we are told that a day came when iniquity was found in thee, it says. It was found in him. Remember, he didn't go around necessarily saying... But he went around thinking it. It was in here. It wasn't necessarily out here. We don't know. We know at some point he must have done something because a third of the angels, the Bible gives us, indicates that they went with him. So somehow, some way, this rebellion led to a, a, a mutiny on the bounty. But for sure we know that he said it in his heart. We know that without a doubt. And then iniquity was found in thee. See, it's, you don't have to have iniquity out here to have iniquity in here. And that's what God's trying to express to us. We, we need to remember that. Man, you can look like a million bucks out here. You can say all the right things out here. You can, you can present yourself in a way where everybody says, man, aren't they a wonderful Christian? Man, they love Jesus. They are so helpful and they are so kind and they are so loving. And that can all be a facade. It can be fake. All, what, where it all really begins is here. Now, if it's here, it should be reflected here. But it can be reflected out here and not be here. Paul points out that Satan's pride was, excuse me, sin was pride. That his sin was pride. And, and he actually, it's funny, you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. 1 Timothy 3, 6. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul then warns Timothy not to advance a person too quickly to the position of pastor for fear that they might fall into the same sin that Satan did. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 
When we read 1 Timothy 3, 6, we don't think much about Satan, but what the Apostle Paul's trying to help Timothy understand is that if you are not careful and you advance somebody too awfully quick, then their pride may enter in and they will fall into the same sin that the devil did. Here it is. Not a novice speaking about those that are to be pastors, if you will. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Be condemned with the devil. The same exact sin. It's pretty sad. But it happens. It happens. Number four on my notes. I've got Satan becomes the enemy of God. And when God created man, Satan intended to destroy him. He wanted nothing to do with man. He, he, he didn't want mankind to succeed in any way, shape, or form. <clears throat> so what's he do? In chapters 3 and, uh, of Genesis, we see that he appears to Eve in the form of a beautiful and very clever serpent. And ultimately, he successfully deceives her. He gets her to partake of the fruit that was forbidden. And we know that ultimately, Adam would willfully disobey God. Again, Satan, after becoming the enemy of God, wanted nothing to do with the creation of God of any, of any good. He truly wanted to wreck and ruin everything God intended to accomplish. He certainly didn't want God to be pleased. And because of his role in man's downfall, Satan is called the old serpent. Look in Revelation 12, 9 again. Revelation 12, 9. It's kind of where we started things. He's called the old serpent. He's such a deceiver. And the great dragon, verse 9, chapter 12, verse 9, was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. His angels were cast out with him. We don't have time to go into it, but that takes place in the tribulation period, right at the midway point. But we see here that he says, he deceiveth the whole world. What's your name, Satan? Now it's old serpent. It's what? Old serpent. Well, can you say that a little louder? I can't hear you. Well, he don't want you to know he's an old that he's an old serpent. He don't want you to know that. Because you know why? Because that attaches or associates him back in the Garden of Eden. It's interesting, and again, this is one of the reasons why you have to be extremely careful with what Bible you read. People say, well, they make a big deal of the stupid King James Bible anyway. They're all the same. They just say it a little different. The only problem is you start changing words, then you lose connections through the Word of God. When his name is called that, when in, in this particular passage, when it says here that the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent. You know immediately what your mind does? It goes right back to Genesis and you go, oh, that serpent. Oh, that one that deceived Eve. 
And you put them together and you realize he's been deceiving then throughout history because this one takes place all the way in Revelation when things are coming to an end. That one took place at the, be- at the beginning <laughs> and this one takes place at the end. So therefore, he's been a deceiver his whole life, his whole existence. He is that old serpent. What's your name, Satan? Old serpent. Well, come on, speak up, boy. Old serpent. Why won't you let me know? Because I don't want you to know, because then you'll know a little bit too much about me, and you'll be a little concerned about me. I don't want you to be concerned about me. I want you to accept me, and I want you to realize that I'm really all about you and your well-being. No, you're not. You're a liar, and you're the father of it. He's also called the tempter. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, Go ahead and turn there. 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. We're going to close this down in a minute. We've got to get moving. <clears throat> in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. He's talking to the Thessalonians. He had invested his life in ministry to them. He had been giving of himself, and he'd been praying and begging God to do something miraculous with them and through them. And he eventually says to them in 1 Thessalonians 3, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. That's by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. You go back through Thessalonians and you realize that many lies had been disseminated and been given out over there to the people. Many of them had at one point believed that Christ had already come, if you will, and they were already in the tribulation. They had no hope left. And he said, no, you're missing the whole point. That's not what's happening here. Just because you're being persecuted relentlessly, just because you're going through such hard times, you're not in the tribulation. Christ hasn't returned. The day of Christ hasn't taken place yet. So there were all kinds of deceivers that were going about trying to wreck and ruin the faith of the Thessalonians or Thessalonians. And he says to them, he says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. That's what the devil does. He tempts us, doesn't he? Tries to convince us that things aren't what God said they would be. Why am I enduring all this hardship and heartache? I'm supposed to be God's child and he's supposed to be a comforter. Where's he at now? He's obviously forsaken me. Oh, I know what he says in Hebrews. I know he says he'll never leave me nor forsake me, but why am I all alone then? And that's where we need a brother or sister in Christ to say, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. All that investment we made at the church, all the time we spent discipling, all the opportunities of service and all the, the investment we made in the life, all of a sudden we're concerned now that you're going to walk away from Jesus and the faith because you have somehow bought into the tempter's lie. Satan is not just an evil influence. 
Satan is a person. And it's one that we need to be prepared by the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God to stand up and resist. Resist the devil and he will flee from us. But we got to resist him. And then we need to flee (laughs) temptation. There's so many things we need to do, but as we kick off this portion of our series on Satan, boy, we need to make sure that we're not allowing him to deceive us and tempt us away from the faith. Be careful, believer, because he has a real proven track record. He is good at what he does. He's been at it for thousands of years. Don't take him lightly or you're going to be taken by him. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you just help us today to truly stand strong on your behalf. Fill us with your spirit and enable us, Lord, to overcome and to give us the victory in our lives. Again, put a hedge about us and keep us safe. Oh, God, keep the devil out of our hearts, our lives, and may you, Father, keep him from wreathing havoc in our lives. Lord, help us, Father, to truly uh, just lean on you and not our own understanding. Give us wisdom and protection and grace. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a moment. Maybe the Lord spoke to you about